0: Well, hey you, hello there. Every person everywhere. Well, hello again, everybody. My name is Lynn. This is every person everywhere. And this is stuff that you can relate to, hopefully. So in the last episode, I talked about my trip to Wales that I took, I guess, right around the time of my birthday, maybe a little bit before. It was over a long weekend, and this was at a point in my degree where we actually only had two days of class a week. So I'm going to make a forlow into what to expect from various stages of education in the next episode, actually, just because it's on my mind to talk about, and um, I'm sure a lot of listeners probably have questions as to why pursue education further than high school in general, let alone beyond a bachelor's. And of course, even an associate's degree or at least two years of formal college to equivocate an associate's degree program is um, sort of the gold standard for a lot of professions now in general. Even a measly sales position requires college experience more times over than not. And it's unfortunately become a gold standard in capitalist America, but also in a lot of the rest of the world as well, except for um, lots of countries where there's more unskilled labor professions. And of course, there's another debate to that as well. Unskilled labor doesn't mean a lack of skills. It means developed skills that don't involve sitting and reading books and taking tests usually. So this would be a lot of carpenters and laborers and people that work in construction and Sometimes electricians and high-voltage linemen and package service deliverers and stuff like that. And even car salesmen are considered unskilled labor. But unless you've ever worked in a sales job, I beg to differ. So I'll go more into that in the next episode and what education means to me and what it might look like for you depending on I guess sort of your life goals and, of course, recording it from the prospectus of 2022 and how things have changed since then. But what's important to notice in this episode is, you know, I had much more free time. I had spent most of the summer and most of my time at home grinding on my dissertation. So by the time that I came back to England... I was only required to do a day and a half of school every week for my program. And of course, it's different in every country as well. So no doubt my experience doing a master's degree in England would very much differ from the expectations imposed on most Americans. However, most of my friends that are doing master's degrees in different countries all can sort of attune to the same whistles and bells, regardless of where you go, really. So that's how I had the time to take this weekend. I was in forbearance on loans because if you go to school again, you opt into a period of forbearance in which you still accumulate interest, but you aren't required to pay. You can also defer, which is what I did, and it's a slight whack to your credit score in most situations but the interest rate is much lower during that period of deferment of loans now obviously you can't defer your loans forever so you need documents from your school to say that you're not expected to pay so the only bills that i really had to pay was obviously paying my rent and utilities in my uh my flat on Weald Lane in Harrow, Wealdstone. Um, I think I actually remember the address, too. I think I lived at 70-something. Um, obviously, don't want to go into exact specifics because I don't want people looking up and pestering my poor elderly neighbors that live below me who have been there for, like, 10 years um, as their grandson is our shared or was our shared landlord. Very nice people, though. Um, but anyhow, I was only really expected... Bills wise, to pay for rent and utilities and my phone bill. Um, phone plans overseas are much cheaper than America. Right now, I pay, I think, 80 or 90 per month, and that's my phone bill and paying off my phone. If I were to pay off my phone and also pay an unlimited talk, text, video chat, unlimited Wi Fi all over Europe in general, not just England, but literally all of Europe. I think that might have cost me $26, so right around half or over half, over 50% of what it would cost less in as compared to America. So cheap phone bill. Rent utilities actually aren't that expensive where I was living just because it's understood that the travel distance is a bit grander as compared to if you were living in central London, obviously. And then obviously the expenses to keep myself alive. And all of this was taken out of a lump sum that I got distributed twice or thrice a year, depending on the year. I think my second year it came in two lump sums versus three. Um, So there was a large period of time where I didn't have any money. And that's when I did all my cheap day trips around England and all my hiking and didn't really go anywhere except when it was cheap. So that's when I did Eastern Europe because it was cheaper. So it was my second year of school. This would have been, I think, three or four months before lockdown. I had Thursday through Monday free every single week, I'm pretty sure. So that's when I did Wales. That's when I did a lot of my last bits of travel before COVID and before having to finish out school and end that. And that's when I did my trip to Scotland. So without further ado, let's finally talk about Scotland. I know it's what you've probably been waiting for. So, first and foremost, everyone thinks that the Scots all talk like this, and it's not exactly true. If you're in the lowlands of Scotland, then you might have sort of that glottal stop in your language. But if you're up towards the highlands, then you have a bit more of a lilt and almost sounding sort of Irish to it, I would say. Um, I don't really know how else to describe it. I'm obviously not a good impersonator, and to anybody who is from Britain, that's listening to this. I'm so sorry that I probably just bastardized three accents into one, but yeah, it's true that not every Scotsman and Scotswoman and Scots person sounds like your angry old grandma. When I was in Glasgow, a uh, Glasgow, absolutely, there was a lot of thick glottal stops. There was a lot of people that all sounded very similar. Um, the slang. Is fairly universal through most of Scotland, though. So when I got some fish and chips, they asked me if I wanted a wee little fork. So, uh, just a wee little napkin and a wee little spot of vinegar for your chips—is that right, laddie? It was pretty much how the conversation went when I went to get that, and then oh, just a top of the old Guinness and stuff like that. I can't really describe the iconoclasms that they have in their language, but. It was like being in a different world as compared to being in Wales, even and especially compared to being in London. You know, everything was more spaced out, so whereas I did walk everywhere, I didn't get to do near as much because Scotland will very much remind you of sort of like the mountainous Midwest of America. You have all these mountains, and it takes Two-hour drive to get somewhere significant, and then you have another drive to get somewhere else significant. One of my friends, Julian, actually rented a car when he went up so he could go and see the Templar Church outside of Glasgow. Now there were different buses and tours that you could do, and to book one, you literally just had to show up at the train station, and all the information was there for the tourists and for everybody else that wanted to do them. Um, but I didn't really have the funds my next bursary wouldn't come in until january of that year so i was running pretty low and strapping fumes for cash i flew to glasgow from i think luton and there's a few major airports that you can fly from and to depending on how you're going travel wise Um, overall cheapest is getting to heathrow because to get to Southend and Luton, they're basically outside of London but still considered London. So you have to take an above ground express railway to get to the train station, and that takes an extra twenty, thirty dollars out of your name one way sometimes. Um, so, the flights might be a little bit more expensive at Heathrow, but you can get there just using buses and the overground and underground network. So, $5 to get there versus $30 to get there. And obviously, everything's in British pounds slash pence, but American dollar is a pretty standard unit of currency to sort of differentiate items between countries and costs and stuff. So, that's why I'm sticking to my homeland's currency. Um, I think... It might have been something more like two pound fifty, three pounds to get to Heathrow from my house, but that translates to like five, six dollars in American money with with inflation rates. So I went to Luton, spent the twenty bucks to get there. It was like a thirty dollar flight, if that. Flights in Europe are stupidly cheap, and that's one thing I'll cover in a different episode. So I took the thirty bucks to get there via plane, and then this was the first trip of this kind of nature where I go to point A, point B, to point C, and then back to point A. So I flew into Glasgow. I spent a day and a half there, and then in the evening, I think it was, I took a bus to Edinburgh. I spent an entire day there, and then in the afternoon, I flew back down to London. So it was like three or four days, a long weekend. There was a fireworks display that night, which was oddly fitting because when I arrived in Glasgow, my best friend from high school, or one of them rather, was getting married. And being it very expensive to just jet across the ocean for a wedding and back, I didn't have the money to go see them in person, so we zoomed in. Now, this is important to realize because time differences. But another time difference was America has their winter daylight savings zone set a week before england so i was expecting a call around 6 p.m at which point i was planning on being nestled in to my airbnb i get a phone call around 4 55 p.m and they say hey we're about to start the wedding are you ready and i go oh crap that's right your daylight savings is a week earlier i've literally known this for a year and a half how could i possibly forget?" So, needless to say, I did all of my sightseeing of the Celts uh, Football Stadium and the Pride of Scotland Stadium. I saw downtown Glasgow, uh, and I saw their biggest cathedral and monastery and graveyard. Very impressive sights to see. It looks like something straight out of Bloodborne. I'm not even kidding. If you've ever played the game series Dark Souls or Bloodborne, it looks a lot like Old Yarnum in most of Glasgow. Now, of course, the rest of it's modernized and does not, but there's few things in there that will very much remind you of being out of, like, a Lovecraftian novel. So I did all my sightseeing out of one eye while watching my best friend get married via Zoom on the other. They were at the beach in November, so it wasn't the warmest because it was only a four-hour drive south, so it might have been, like, I don't know... 12 degrees Celsius, like, I guess, 50-ish degrees Fahrenheit. It was not terribly warm. It was actually probably colder than that. It was probably closer to, like, 8 degrees Celsius slash 43-ish degrees Fahrenheit. Um, Of course, my conversions are guesstimates because I can register temperature in Celsius and I can register temperature in Fahrenheit, having lived between both the imperial and metric systems. But I'm very, very bad at guesstimating conversions between the two. So, bear with me if my guesstimates are off. Try not to nitpick, please. I'm sorry in advance. So, needless to say, that was an experience. And I derped around Glasgow. Needless to say, there wasn't a whole lot to do in the place that I'd ended up. I'd Ubered to where I'd be staying, and then I walked around after checking in. And I planned to make my way back after checking, uh out Glasgow Insofar so far that I didn't even put my backpack down yes backpack not suitcase backpack I'll get to that in my next a couple of seasons as well that I do pretty much all of my traveling with no more than a backpack if I can so help it I've done laundry at many strangers houses and in very random places in very random countries more on that later so Glasgow was okay I know that I would have gotten more out of the experience if I would have had another day to spend there, and if I would have rented a car. There's there's obviously a lot to do, more so than just enjoying the accents of the people. But the bread and butter was Edinburgh. When I went to see the castle of Edinburgh, I got to see the Elephant Cafe where J.K. Rowling started writing Harry Potter. You can still find love notes to her in the desks at the cafe. It's not a very cheap cafe, but it's a decent one nonetheless. I went to Mama's Cafe for dinner and had vegetarian haggis, and apparently it was the closest tasting thing to real haggis you could have without it being haggis. For those that don't know what haggis and black pudding are, black pudding is congealed sheep's blood, normally made alongside haggis and served alongside haggis as such. Haggis is meat, potatoes, and other vegetables stuffed into a sheep's stomach, and typically you scrape the stomach lining and eat it with the rest of the the goodies. Obviously, not very appetizing to me as a vegetarian slash reducitarian. I just discovered that term recently. It's somebody who eats meat but is trying to reduce it to nil or just reduce their impact as much and eat as plant based slash vegan as possible. So, I guess that's what I would describe the first seven years of my vegetarianism was reducitarian slash plant based. Um, But even when I ate meat and I first heard of haggis, I nearly blue chunks everywhere after hearing what it was it just I know hog mall traditionally is very similar it's Pennsylvania Dutch's version of haggis basically but even that not very appetizing as soon as I figured out what I was eating I was like I'm not doing that anymore you can make me sausage and potatoes and eggs but I'm not doing no I'm not doing that no stomach linings please And I know like you know it, it comes from a culture of not wasting anything but still So I got to have some vegetarian editions of Scottish cuisine there. I went to a hostel there and stayed two nights. And I got to meet some pretty cool people. Uh, A lot of them were standoffish. I'm not going to lie, my mental health wasn't the greatest on this trip. And my introvert battery was very much not recharged because I just spent a lot of time in a lot of pubs and visiting a lot of friends right before this trip. So I might also do an episode on introversion versus extroversion to go a bit deeper into it and how it affects how you travel and stuff. Um, Actually, I think I'll do that right after my education episode, which I'll do right after this. So, you know, I could have had a better time. I could have made more friends. But, you know, it is what it is. I did find a nice group of people that were exchange students that all ended up at the university in Inverness. I think it's called Locke University. I'm not exactly sure. Don't quote me. Or it might have just been Inverness University or University of Inverness. But very lovely people from Spain, Denmark, the Netherlands, um, England. And two were from various random parts. I think one was from Idaho one was from Florida of America. So there was that. Lots of old winding corridors. Victoria Street and Queens Street and Queens Alley are basically Diagon Alley. That's what J.K. Rowling took inspiration from. So when I went to Glasgow and Edinburgh, I made sure to go and see everything that I could in that short or long weekend that was related to J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter. I don't really support her as a person anymore because of the whole not liking transgender rights thing, which is kind of not very 21st century of anybody, but I digress. She writes good books Um, and getting to see the little private school at Duke's Abbey where she sent... Her kid. It was literally right outside the window of the cafe. So I did Victoria Street. I shopped around there. Bought some Harry Potter goodies. Bought um, a, a platinum edition of the book or whatever it was called. Uh, just a limited edition in that shop. Because it was super duper official. This is where it started. So we only sell it here. Uh, so I got that there. I got some Ravenclaw gear there. Because I'm Team Ravenclaw for life. Because I'm a nerd. Um, and then I spent the rest of the day just wandering through the cemetery where she used to walk to get inspirations for names, including Snape, Potter, McGonagall, and Weasley. All of their name origins can be loosely, roughly related to very, very random tombstones. And it's a big cemetery, too. And people's dogs are buried there. Like, it's an important cemetery, so... You're not just going to spend 10 minutes, oh, boo, seeing it and go. It took me 40 minutes in the rain to try and figure out where this woman found these tombstones. So that was pretty cool. Also getting to walk down the cobblestone pathway down the mountainside from the castle into the entertainment district below was very cool. You know, lots of bars and restaurants and pubs and chippies lined the streets. I got to have a very, very beautiful conversation as both of us were like three beers beers deep and, you know, just trying to sustain our bodies for the night with some fish and chips. It was this guy from Glasgow who was awarded in a jail. And this comes back to the education topic. He had gone through college, done his A-levels and S-levels, and then never went to university. He just worked as a probation and then corrections officer, and then eventually became one of the lead wardens at the prison. And he said that he actually has one of the best relationships with his medical staff because there's this mutual understanding of there's things that you see that we can't see because of your medical training, but there's also the things that I see that you never will because of how much time I spend being their corrections officer. And it was a very good conversation because this is when I would first discovered my passion for forensic psychology that I didn't know existed. And still not really sure why it exists, but I think it's just because it's fascinating as all hell to find these people and help them rehabilitate. Something that's very, very unheard of in America, unfortunately, but I digress so it was a very beautiful hour-long conversation and this wasn't the first beautiful hour-long conversation i had with the locals anywhere i had several with people that i stayed with i had several in the airbnbs i stayed at i just learned a lot about the world in general and i guess my lesson from wales and scotland is never underestimate your own strength your own fortitude and always be receptive to what others can offer you because if it weren't for very deep conversations i had with this one girl who owned the airbnb in, or airbnb in wales and our mutual sadness over lost love back home i wouldn't have developed that side of myself i wouldn't have developed that family therapy relationship marriage therapist type side of myself if it weren't for that conversation with that man who was the prison warden, Chris, shout out to you wherever you are, I, I don't think I would have had the eye-opener that I did of knowing my place and being humble, and I think that's something that a lot of people early on in their scholarly and collegiate careers forget, is how to remain humble. So I'm going to dive right into that in the next episode. So, until then, I leave it at this, and I add my beautiful silence.